0: And open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 17. Let's pray. Father, we do worship you this morning. We recognize that you alone are God. You are the only one who is holy. You're the only one who is all wise, all powerful. The one who is good, the one who is compassionate, the one who is merciful. All of these things highlighted frankly in your response to sin. Thank you that you have provided a way of redemption. Thank you that while you make it possible for men to be reconciled to you, that there is also a day coming where there is a wrath to come. And that wrath is just as right as your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that as we, as we study these things that we would be encouraged all the more to, to preach your gospel to those who are facing this wrath that is yet to come. And so, Father, encourage our hearts as we see you in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, last week, as we started here into chapter 17, we were seeing uh, we've had the six bowls, or seven bowls poured out that are the final wrath of God, right? Right? These are the ones that are unmixed, undiluted. This is this is the full strength. Um, no fractions. Uh, when God judges something, it's all of it. It's no longer restrained. It's no longer um, hindered by mercy. And we have an angel who approaches John, one of the angels that had poured out one of the seven bowls, and he says, "Come here. I want to show you the judgment on." Babylon the Great, and we saw last week as we started into chapter 17, we see a woman who is seated upon this uh, beast, and she is dressed in scarlet. So let's let's uh, we'll start in verse one and then just read through, and and finish up where we were last week. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying. Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality and those who dwell on the earth who were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And so here we have John, he sees this, and what is this? And the angel says, all right, I'm going to explain it to you. Now remember that as John is writing his book, he is, what, was, what command was given to John at the beginning of this book. What command was given to him? Write. Right. Right. W-R-I-T-E. So he is recording the things that he sees. John does not give a lot of interpretation of what he sees. He's recording it. So when we see interpretations explanations, those are explanations that are being given to John and thereby being given to who? To us, to the reader. And so the angel comes through and he says, okay, you're amazed. Ah, I'll explain this to you. And so, again, as we looked last week, uh, there's a description of her. um, And she is... Babylon the Great is the poster child for false religion. So when you have the the religions of the world, Babylon the Great is going to be the face of those. Does that make sense? All right. Now that is that aspect of Babylon the Great. That's why again when we were talking last week about symbols and 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 what they mean, this one is a symbol on. Uh, On different levels so this is a you know is this woman is this an actual woman in history no she is a picture she is a symbol so in this aspect this is something that is symbolic it is um, a, a metaphor in order to be able to communicate a concept And again, we've got this beast with the seven heads and the ten horns. And we saw this back in chapter 13. And frankly, that's not the first place we see this creature now, is it? If you go back to the book of Daniel, you're going to see this creature. And so again, these things that in chapter 17 and 18 especially, we're seeing things that are Old Testament that are being carried through so these are pictures that were given, you know, to Daniel. When did Daniel live? All right. Pardon me? In a... <laughs> when did Daniel live? Okay, so he's taken out in the first exile to Babylon. That's in 605 B.C. And he is alive all the way into 539, 538, 537 B.C. because he's still alive when Babylon falls, when Babylon is conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And he actually serves at least uh, two of the new rulers with the Medes and the Persians. Because he serves Darius the Mede and he serves Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel is 600 years, almost 700 years before John is writing. So he's going to give an explanation of the woman and the beast. Verse 8 The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Now, that language, is does that sound similar to language used to describe somebody else in this book? Okay, so if you flip back to chapter 1, you see, for instance, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. This is uh, God speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come. So here you have God being from everlasting to everlasting. God has no beginning. He has no end. Now, when you, when you come to Satan, again, Satan wants to be who? He wants to be God. Isn't it interesting? Satan cannot make that claim. Satan is a created being. And in fact, he's not all-powerful, and nor is his representative the beast. He also is not. And so there's, there's a little bit of a parody here, highlighting that this, this, uh, this, uh, this, this beast, this, uh, this representative of Satan, yeah, he has a place, and why does he have a place? Why does he have a place in history? Yeah, God wants him there. That's the other thing that comes out of this book is that here you have um, unrepentant men who live in a certain fashion and they are wanting to accomplish their agenda. And what they fail to see is that God is paving the way for them to do that, to bring them to the point of judgment. Remember, we saw that with, um, for instance, the last, the sixth bowl. The sixth bowl is drying up the river Euphrates. Well, why was the river Euphrates dried up? Specifically. Yeah, it turned it into a freeway for the kings coming from the east. So in other words, is God trying to hinder them from coming to the place of battle? Oh, no, he's paving the way. And so again, this is where God is ultimately in control of all of these things. So we have the beast coming up out of the beast to go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Now this is also a reference to uh, this fatal wound, right? And so one of these heads sustains a fatal wound, And he is able to come back. And they look at that and they say, you know, wow, this is incredible. Now, the beast is also, he's able to accomplish things that hitherto have not been able to be accomplished. He is able to bring people together. What is the primary tool that he is going to use To bring the world together under one banner. He's going to use religion. So when you drive down the street and you see a bumper sticker that says coexist. The beast is going to be able to pull that off. Which is actually, it is fairly amazing when you consider that pretty much all of the religions that are represented on that bumper sticker are mutually exclusive. You cannot be, you cannot have the tenets of Islam side by side with the tenets of Judaism or the tenets of Christianity or any of those and have those come into alignment. That's impossible. And yet, the beast is able to rally everybody under one banner. Now we're going to get into that at length here momentarily. Now again, you have those who dwell on the earth. In this book, who is represented by that phrase, those who dwell on the earth? Unbelievers. unbelievers. And so you have unbelievers, and, and the characteristic, the identifying feature of an unbeliever is one whose name has not been written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. Now, I know that election, the doctrine of election, is is one that is controversial in the church. I don't know any way to get around it here. That's about as plain as you can put it. If you're redeemed, your name was written in God's book before there was a planet. Which ought to be, frankly, tremendously encouraging, right? It should be. And so their names are not there. And because their name is not recorded in the book of life, because they're not elect, because they're not going to be redeemed, what are they subject to? They're subject to God's wrath. They're also subject to something else. Deception. Deception. Exactly. And so here you have, and again, remember that when a person is deceived, do they know they're deceived? No. They don't. They believe that to be true. So again, when you talk about, you know, this is a sincerely held belief, it may be a sincerely held belief. That doesn't mean that it's actually true. If you have vertigo... You may sincerely believe that up is down and down is up. You may sincerely believe that. And if you act on that sincerely held belief, what are you going to do? You're going to crash your aircraft. If you're a pilot, you're going to crash. So again, sincerity doesn't have anything to do with it. Verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom now whenever you see that phrase what does that what does that you know bring up in your in your mind what's john communicating here okay it's not that early Okay, here, so here is the mind which has wisdom. This is something that uh, when, you, when you see this, you should be able to get an idea as to what is happening and why. Now, does that mean that we will be able to do that? Are we gonna be able to figure all these things out? Are we gonna be able to, to attach names to identities ahead of time no who's the beast beats me is he gonna exist yes is there a time when his identity is going to be able to be determined yes when is that going to happen whenever this happens so again, the idea of, of getting all tied up in knots is to, okay, well, is this Nero coming back to life? Is this Henry Kissinger? Uh, is this, you know, whoever? You know, there's all kinds of names that have been suggested for this over the years. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Can the beast be a female? No. So the question was, can the beast be a female? No. I was thinking like Nancy Pelosi or something like that. <laughs> oh, as much as we might wanna think it's Nancy Pelosi, you know no i was just wondering like if, if it had to be a male. well he's referred to as he okay. consistently and um, okay now that actually okay let's 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 go there for just a moment we got a little bit of time today so the point is the the point that's being made is that he is sometimes uh, generic um, okay so the, another point is being made that man is generic not he um, one of the signs in Israel of their apostasy was they began to worship a particular deity you find that deity in the book of Jeremiah the deity is not named but has a characteristic. Anybody have any idea who I'm talking about? Not Ishtar. What, what What many of the Israelites began to worship was the queen of heaven. The queen of heaven. Now, how does God represent himself? He is the king of heaven. Again, and again, this is not to, um, this is not to d- demean women in any way, shape, or form. But, and again, go back to the culture. What status did women have in Israel? Were they elevated? No. They tended not to be. And when you look through uh, the history of Israel, how many female leaders were there not many right was there a female judge yes who was that deborah, deborah. yes uh, she was a good leader how many queens of israel or judah were there athaliah remember because athaliah went a little nutso and she destroyed pretty much the entire male line and only one was left who was that joash, joash. and so and she reigned as queen until she got deposed there was a question gunner I don't remember. The question is, is the moon god considered female? Now, there are a number of the pagan gods who were female, a number of them. Now, I don't remember specifically with the moon god. Um, and so, again, but when you see that, when you see female deities, what, what's one of the things that you're going to be able to identify right off the bat? It's not God. It's somebody else. And remember, we talked about this last week. Where do these other deities come from? Yeah. Men make them up. Every one of them. And so, um, the beast is consistently referred to as a he. (laughs) So here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Stop there for a moment. So here you have the heads, being represent, they're representing two things. They represent mountains, they represent kings. How is the idea that this woman sits on seven mountains usually interpreted, often interpreted? Okay, it's interpreted as Rome. Why? Right, so Rome sits on seven mountains. Now, there's actually more than seven. But in the first century you know who who's the world empire at the time John is writing it's rome what was rome even in that day rome was known for being the city on seven hills so that was something that was known that was a characteristic of them in that day and so if you were to say to a first century person that this is somebody who who sits on seven hills what would be likely very likely the first thing that came into their head it's a he's talking about rome now the idea here about these seven mountains they could be seven physical mountains seven hills in the bible Mountains can also refer to power. Now, for instance, um, David in the Psalms uses this often, actually, when he talks about coming up to Mount Zion. What is significant about Mount Zion? Okay, that's where Jerusalem is. What did Zion represent? Yeah, it's the presence of the Lord. This is His chosen place, and so it's it's an it's it's a representation of this is God's seat of power. Now again, it's a representation because uh, the heavens are my. The heavens are his uh, dwelling place. The earth is his footstool. You know, when, when David wanted to make a throne, you're going to make a house for me to dwell in? You can contain me in a house? But again, it's the idea of that is the, it's the representation of the seed of God. And so when it comes to this idea here of the, the seven mountains, Could that be Rome? Yes, it could be. Um, We'll get into that even more here in just a minute. So the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, again, we talked about this last week. The woman's sitting. So these seven mountains are doing what relative to the woman? What's their relationship to the woman? they're supporting her. And so this is, remember when we saw last week, the woman sitting on the beast. The beast was supporting her. And so there's seven mountains and there are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. So let's flesh this out here a little bit. The idea here of these seven kings is probably... Um the idea here is the, the, these are kingdoms that these kings represent. So when you talk about five were, one is, one yet to come. So what is that, what's being communicated here? History. So there's five of them that are in the rearview mirror. These are in history. One of them is now, one of them yet to come. If you were to go to history, you would find that there were, have been five world empires that were basically anti-Israel. So if you go back, you would find Egypt, you would find Assyria, you would find Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. Those would be the five empires that would be referred to here. Which one is? That's Rome. Which is the one that's to come? That is an empire that has not yet happened. That's the one that is going to be the one that comes to power during the time of the tribulation. That's correct. Okay, so the question, the the point that was made here is that if you go back to Daniel and you see this image, remember, you've got this uh, Nebuchadnezzar sees, he has a vision, a dream, and he sees this incredible uh, statue. And it's got the head of gold, and it's got the, the chest of silver, and it's got the belly of bronze, and it's got the legs of iron. And then you go down, it's got feet that are a mixture of iron and clay. Remember that? All right, and, and again, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, I, I need an explanation of this, and so here comes Daniel. And who's the head of gold? Nebuchadnezzar specifically, okay, and Babylon by extension. So, when, and again, when you think of Babylon, what king do you think of? Nebuchadnezzar was the shining star of Babylon. Remember Babylon, as far as the world power is concerned, very short. It survived Nebuchadnezzar, but frankly, not by long. And so, Nebuchadnezzar, you, you're the head of gold. And so then who replaces Babylon as the world empire, as the world power? That's the Medes and the Persians, right? Right. And they come in, and they last for a bit. And then they get taken out by who? Greece, Greece, but specifically by Alexander Alexander the Great. So he comes in and he takes out the Medo-Persians, and now Greece is the, the big deal. And Greece gets replaced by Rome. What's the Greek contribution here? What's the great contribution by the Greeks? Their language. Their language is across the world. It's basically, it's, the, it's the, the, the trade language throughout the world. And then what does Rome contribute? Yeah, you've got the Roman roads. So now all of a sudden you've got the path for the gospel to spread throughout the, the world and a language that is common. So you have these different empires that are being represented here. The one that's yet to come. When he comes, he must remain a little while. Now we are going to run into in the next in in uh, in this chapter, and in chapter 18, there are some different um, time representations. So, what time representation would you attach to God? He's eternal right everlasting to everlasting you know he spans time he has no beginning he has no end you know God is just God is that's why he can say I am right it's always present tense so here you have God who spans everything then you have others And you start to see, well, this guy, this one's going to come along for a little while. And in a a few verses, we're going to see. And then you've got people who come to power for one hour. So what is being, what's the relative, what's the relativity there with these times? So he's going to rule for a little while. Relatively short, not instantaneous. You know, he's not a flash in the pan. Uh, necessarily, and then you've got these who rule for one hour. What's that getting at? (laughs) (laughs) Sam, Sam says that's their 15 minutes of fame. Okay. So again, the idea here is you've got some who are coming in for a moment in time. That's probably the best way to look at that. This is a moment in time. And relative to these other things, it's a short moment in time. Then you have others. Yeah, they're going to be in power, but it's something that's not going to be long. And then of course you've got these others that are much longer than that. So you have these seven kings. Five have fallen. One is the other is not yet come. And when he does, he's going to be he's going to hang around for a bit. Verse eleven. The beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. So the beast is concurrent with the seventh. Does that make sense? He's happening at the same time. He's the embodiment of that. So the beast, uh, when you you talk about the seventh king that is to come, the beast is going to be the Nebuchadnezzar. Of that kingdom does that make sense he's the one who's going to be the predominant when you think of that Empire he's the his is the name that it's going to go by that's the seven heads verse 12 the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour So here you have ten kings, and why are these guys being given power? Why do they exist? Why does God raise them up? To serve the beast. So these are going to be his cronies. These are going to be the guys who, uh, his underlings, who have authority, who have power. And they are going to use that to support him. Verse 13, they have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. So here you have a man who is coming in. He is the the face, he is the figurehead for this seventh empire that is rising. And these ten kings are part of that, and they are supporting the beast. So if we're going to use the, uh, the imagery that John is using here to talk about the woman relative to the beast, what would that look like with the beast and these ten kings? What would the imagery be? Yeah, the beast is riding the ten kings, right? They are supporting him. That's why you see, uh, over time, different things will happen in the world. And something will come along and all of a sudden somebody goes, Hey, wait, 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 wait. Isn't there something like that maybe in the Bible? So uh, something was created uh, in our lifetime um, 30 years ago called the European Union. Right? Right? The Confederacy of the European nations. Now, those of us who are seasoned, do you remember hearing people go, hey, wait a minute? How could this be? Well, see, that's the thing. So the question is, were there 10? Well, there have been 10. Yeah, now it's more. So as more things were adding in, you know, people are going, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, you could do the same thing with the G7 conference, except I think now it's the G8, right? I think it's the G8. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Maybe. And again, we don't know who these guys are. Will it be able to be known? Absolutely as that time comes who determined the purpose for those Kings by the way yeah God did so again man thinks Satan thinks that he's got things running this way and who in fact is superintending all of it God is Verse 14, these will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So the purpose, these these men, the beast, his the 10 kings that are supporting him and all of those who follow him Their idea is they, their purpose is to wage war. They are anti-God and not passively. Which is why, does that make sense now as to why there is so much bloodshed where believers are being persecuted and killed? These people are at war with God and if they're at war with God, who else are they at war with? By extension. Yeah, those who follow after him. And so here you have, this is, this is active. It's no longer uh, hidden. It's no longer innuendo. This is war, conflict. So when you talk about uh, persecution, what is, the, what is one of the ideas of persecution? It, there's, it's, it's associated with the actual word, itself. Persecution, is that something that is passive? No. In fact, part of persecution is the idea of pursuit. So we might change the word a little bit and you'll get the sense of it. What word is kind of closely associated uh, just linguistically with persecution? Change a couple of letters. Not execution. Prosecution. prosecution. So again, it's the idea of chasing down and chasing down with an intent. It's not to give somebody a Hallmark card. They're going to lose when they go to war with the Lamb. Why? Oh, yeah. Because he's the real deal, he's not the wannabe. He's not the fake. He's the one who's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And again, and I hope hope that this brings incredible joy to your heart. Those who follow him are who? They're called. They're chosen. And because they're called and chosen, then what are they made? Faithful. All right, verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So if you go all the way back to verse 1 here in chapter 17, come out here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, if you talk about sitting on many waters, you could interpret that as, well, you know, this, this woman is in a place where she is surrounded by a bunch of water. So she's in a great city that has access to the ocean or, or, or something on that order. We're not left, again, we're not being left to figure that out on our own. It's, it's given. The waters are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So now what does that mean when you have the woman sitting on these nations and peoples and tongues in Multitudes. What are they doing repre- relative to the woman? She's sitting on them. So, what are they doing? They're, they're supporting her, they're holding her up. And so, here you have the idea that the woman, her kingdom, so to speak, her influence extends how far? It's global. So, this is everywhere. So, again, this is things are becoming very simple you have God and you have everyone else that's really what what it's come to and so here you have there's there is a there's a line drawn and it's a very distinct line so here you have the waters all these different people groups verse 16 and the ten horns which you saw and the beast these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire so what just happened oh, I think she was trending and now she got cancer yeah. <laughs> So Sam makes the comment she was trending and now she got canceled. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about this. All these people, these kings and the beast. So the kings are supporting the beast. The beast has been supporting the woman. And now all of a sudden, there's a great falling out. Why? Why? That is beautiful. So the point, the comment that was made is that canceling out all of the religions in order to establish one. And that is absolutely correct. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. Is God pleased with indirect worship? What would indirect worship be? Give me a picture or an example of indirect worship. I'm sorry? False doctrine? Okay, I'm not sure. Uh, okay. Well, okay, so last week when we were talking about what is the basis of religion? What's the basic basis of any religion? What have you done, necessarily? You've redefined God. You've made a God in your own image. Because what you have done is you have created this being who now is going to be able to be appeased or to be able to be um, uh, satisfied by something other than what God himself has ordained. It's anything. As soon as you go through and you say, uh, all right, so let's back up. we'll, we'll, We'll retread a little bit of last week. Has God ordained what is acceptable and what is not acceptable as far as worship? Yes, he has. If you have any questions about that, go back and read about Nadab and Abihu. Okay? And so God establishes what is acceptable and not acceptable. And why is he able to do that? Because he's God. Because he is the one who is all-powerful and he is able to, to do that. And frankly, no one is able to set that aside, not without consequence. What man does when man comes in and says, "God," All right, back up, I'm sorry. How are people made right before God by grace through faith, right? And that has been true all the way through. In the Old Testament, when you see God saying, listen, I want you to do this, and people say, very well, I'm going to do that. The men of faith that are held out in Hebrews 11, that is their defining characteristic right? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now that's not from Hebrews, but it's the same idea. And so when God said, I want you to do this, men who took God and women who took God at his word and did what God said in the manner in which he said it, God accepted that because they were taking him at his word. They were demonstrating Faith. Does that make sense? When you take those requirements, or you take those things that God puts out as this is what is right, and this this is what is acceptable, this is not what is acceptable, this is unacceptable. When you take that and you begin to twist it, you have now made a god in your own image. So any of the of the religions that are works based. I'm going to earn my way into God's favor. God no longer is holy. God no longer has the ability to say that this is not acceptable. It doesn't matter how well you dress it up. I don't care how much lipstick you put on it. It's still a pig. And so you can't dress it up. You're not going to be able to make this acceptable. But when you come in and say, well, yeah, no, actually, yes, it is. What have you done? You've redefined God. And all of those religions, in essence, uh, that we're, were when you talk about cults, when you talk about even you know major religions, they are works based. In fact, how do you identify a cult? Typically, who in particular will a cult redefine Christ? They don't get Christ right. They make him somebody else. And so the idea here is that that's religion. Now, how, now so how does this relate now to the beast? God doesn't like indirect worship. I, in fact, I was actually, I, I thought about this this morning. Last night, one of our daughters-in-law made dinner, and it was quite tasty. And I made a comment. Wow, this is really good. What is implied in that comment, but not actually stated? Well, I liked it. It was good. Did I actually say to her, you did a really great job on making this? I didn't actually say that. Is it implied? It's implied, but it wasn't directly stated. Now I said it later. I think. I think I did. I'm pretty sure I did. There's still time. There's time. There's still time. That's okay. I'm looking at her right now, and she actually thinks, "Yeah, you did." So But here again, wow, this is really good. Is that direct praise? No. I made a comment. I made an observation. Now, she could take it as praise, but it wasn't direct. So, when I, uh, several times uh, we have been driving, and Carolyn will make a comment, what a beautiful sunset. Is that praising God? Not directly. That's right, because anybody can make that comment. And, and again, it's an observation. It's an observation. So the reason for getting through this is this. God's not big on indirect worship. When we come to him, you know, He wants us to recognize him for who he is and to praise him for who he is and for what he does. Who does Satan want to be? He wants to be like the Most High. So, a person who is in a cult, when they offer worship, who are they offering it to? Okay, it's not to God. Is it directly to Satan? Now, some of you are probably thinking now. Oh, okay, now wait a minute. It talks about in Corinthians where you know these who were offering. Uh, sacrifices to idols were actually giving worship to demons, right? Satan wants to be God. Satan's not interested in indirect worship either. So when you have the idea that you have this one world religion that has made a God of its own image... They're still not directly worshiping the beast or Satan. And so, what's what's Satan going to do with that? Because, again, what has Satan been doing? What has the beast been doing? What's the whole business of the false prophet? Yeah, the false prophet is deceiving, but he is causing the world to worship who? The beast. It's about him. All these other religions, they don't fall right in line with that. So he gets rid of them. It's just like Nebuchadnezzar, frankly, and his statue. Remember, he builds this huge statue, he sets it out there on the plain, and you know, when you hear the all the ba- you know, when you hear the band start to play, then you are to fall down and worship that. And if you won't bow down and worship that, then you're going to get baked. You're going in the fiery furnace. So you have forced worship. That's what the beast is doing. He dispenses with religion to replace it with, no, 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 If you're going to worship, you're going to worship me. That is now the official state religion. You worship me. Questions on that? Comments? Does that make sense? That's Satan's version of you will have no other gods before me. That's his version. And so, they dispense with the false religion, the one world religion. These will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. So she's not mostly dead, she's dead dead. Verse 17, for God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose. So why are they doing this to the false religion? What's God accomplishing with them relative to that religion? He's using them as the instrument of judgment on the false religion. No different than God used Nebuchadnezzar to bring judgment... On Israel. No different than God using Sennacherib and the Assyrians to bring judgment on the northern kingdom. God using pagans to accomplish his purpose. Now, did Nebuchadnezzar realize, hey, I'm doing God's work? No, he didn't know that nor was that his primary motivation for going through to do that so it's not going to be their primary motivation but that's what God is doing he's bringing that about to accomplish his own purpose God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. So again, God is over all these things. He's even using the the mechanization of evil and he's accomplishing his purpose. Verse 18, the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the king's of the earth. Now, here is where things again start to get well how do we deal with this? So over here the woman is representative of religion. Now she's being represented as the great city. And it's not a great city, is it? It's the great city. So there's a definite article. And so what are we left with now to, to do? What, what do we need to do here? Figure out city. Yeah, figure out what city it is. And that is going to get uh, very much into chapter 18. So this great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So here you have, this is, this is a seat of global power. So wherever this city is, it's like the world capital. That's the idea that's being communicated here. Now we're going to see in chapter 18 that it is referred to a city over and over and over again. And if it's being referred to as a city that in that way, then what should we probably understand it to be? It's a city. This is a physical place. Now, it's a physical place that represents a concept, but it's a physical place. And that we're going to get into next week. All right, questions for today. Oh, the idea about the coexist already exists? Yeah. There's preachers that are that are drawing the Muslims and the Christians together and um, shows like even the Pope is Muslims to uh in city. Right. So you have the, the Pope inviting a Muslim imam to the Vatican, um you know, if, if you think back to right after 9-11, again, those of us who are a little older, when you think back to af- just after 9-11, do you recall an, an event where there was a huge platform and on this platform was a representative from just about every religion you can even imagine? All, you know, coming in here to demonstrate you know, solidarity and unity in fighting against evil. Who was missing from that platform? Yeah, there were no evangelical Christians on that platform. There was, there was a couple of guys, I couldn't believe it when I saw it, frankly. They've got these white hats, if it had come down over their face, it looked like something from the Ku Klux Klan. You had all these people coming up here wearing their stuff and there was some quite imaginative, you know, costumes and everything here. That's the idea of, again, we will not have this man to rule over us. We'll make up somebody else. And again, notice how there's all kinds of, you know, that's the Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors of religion up there. You've got all these different people, all these different flavors just as long as it's not something that actually bows the knee to God and to his Christ. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's beginning. Um, on, in some ways it is, and in others, you know, you have a guy who, uh, you know, this, this Muslim fella attacked Salman Rushdie the other day. Well, why did that happen? Well, because about 30 years ago, Salman Rushdie published a book that was not very uh, admiring of Islam. And the Iranian, the Ayatollah Khomeini put out a fatwa against him, which basically says, hi there, there's a price on his head. We will support you to kill him because he insulted the prophet. And now 30 years later, here's some guy coming along going, hey, reward money? hey, I can do this. Why? Something that was deemed an insult and that's now worthy of capital punishment. Now, the day is coming when God is going to institute capital punishment against those who rebel against him. That day is coming. Yet, what has been offered time and time and time again to those very people? Turn. You can repent. You can flee from the wrath that is to come if you will only repent and believe. Let's pray. Father, there are many today. The the majority of the planet rejects you, rejects any idea of, of bowing to you. They have no interest in repentance. They have no interest in humbling themselves before you. And we were one of them at one point we would still be one of them. We would be among them were it not that you called us out, that you rescued us, that you redeemed us. And so Father, help us to be compassionate. Help us to remember from where we came and to remember how it is that we have been, how it is that we have come to this place. It is all because of you there was nothing in and of ourselves, we would still be damned were it not for you. And so, Father, help us to be about your business. Help us to be those who are faithful. Faithful because we've been made that way, but faithful also because we long to serve you. Because we long to obey you to demonstrate our love and our appreciation and our adoration for you through obedience. Help us to interpret your word rightly so that we may know you rightly and therefore honor you rightly and obey you rightly and worship you rightly. Thank you that you are the almighty, you are the king of kings and you are the Lord of lords and you are accomplishing your purpose today across the board. And we worship you for being almighty God. In Jesus' name, amen.